tonight we're going to have a, a great time, and uh, I don't want to waste any of our time, so I'm going to give you just a, a snapshot of, of what's going to take place tonight. Uh, first of all, if you need to leave tonight at any time and it gets a little late, um, you, you need to excuse yourself because it's, I'm not going to say, okay, we're done, un- unless we run into, you know, an 8.15 or 8.30, but I understand if you need to pick up your children or you need to work early or school and things like that. Uh, at the same time, our volunteers in our children and our nursery, they're well aware of if we are extended tonight, so they're prepared to take very good care of your children. They're not going to be frustrated uh, because tonight we just want to allow the Lord to do some things in our lives, and we don't want to be hindered by a clock but moved by His Spirit. Uh, the second thing is I want to encourage you, if you are one of those that you're trying to decide, what should I do? I mean, it's, I don't know, should I go home? Should I leave? What should I do? I would say at that specific time, you ask the Lord how you get to invest in your life. And if he's saying just stick around for the prayer time and and what the Lord wants to do, then I would say just obey his voice. And if he says, no, you can be excused and listen to his voice. Tonight we want to be really, really sensitive to his spirit because we really want to be spirit-filled and then spirit-led so that he can direct our lives. Also, uh, you're going to hear certain terms, so I want you to take this out if you got this when you came in. If not, uh, you can raise your hand, and we have some of our ushers that can get you uh, this when you came in. It's just a little booklet to help. We have some people on this side, uh, and we can go get it to you. And this will just help you with following along with tonight, okay? Well, I'm going to introduce Susie Chun who is going to be speaking with me tonight. I'm just going to welcome her up because you already know her. If you don't, you will. Let's welcome Susie Chan tonight. <laughs> if you need to know her more, you can go and speak with her afterwards. It's, it'll be great. She's very friendly. Okay. And you are friendly. Okay. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for this, for Pastor and this church that has opened their hearts to understanding the Jewish roots of the faith, of the Christian faith, because that doesn't happen in many churches. So I'm so thankful for that. It's been on my heart, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity. And what I love about it is, you know, when, when you first come to know Jesus Christ, a lot of it, because it's new, uh, you don't know the roots of it. You just know Jesus loves me. He died for me. God loves me. I've been forgiven. But to come to a place of understanding of what all of, uh, what the Old Testament was pointing to, what is the New Testament, what, what does Pentecost mean, why all the celebrations, why do we say uh, Jews were God's chosen people, and there are so many things to learn from the Bible that we wanted to pick something tonight that would help us understand what Pentecost is and how it was, uh, was, how it was pointing towards something. And at the same time, this Sunday is Pentecost. So uh, you're going to understand a little bit more. I wanted to read this scripture before we began. Ephesians 2, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or if there's a scripture that we bring up, you can turn there, or if you have an electronic Bible, uh, because I want you to catch the words of God so that it can be in our minds. When you see a word, it, it, it imprints on your brain so that you can remember it even that much more. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles. So this is what you're seeing. Jew, Gentile. Jew is Israel, chosen, God's chosen people. It was God's promise 
to become a nation to the Israelites. Everyone else is not Jewish. Okay, I know some of us are saying, yeah, I got that, but you might get confused when you read the Bible. You hear Jew and Gentile, Israel. Israel and Jew are the same thing, especially as, as well as Hebrew. They, they just use different words to describe this group of people. And so we're the Gentiles. But right now what you're seeing is what the Bible actually said. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So what we're going to look at tonight is the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how Pentecost plays a really big part in our faith and how tonight we're going to learn about the prophetic significance of Pentecost which, of course, is going to be this Sunday. So get ready. You can take notes if you need to in that little booklet. There are, all, there are many blank places that you can just write notes. If you run out of paper, write on your neighbor's arm and <laughs> write on their shirt. Just take some notes down. Be it, it'll much. be good. You, don't write on their arms. Don't, don't do that. Tonight, when we look at the connection between the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, and the Brit Hadashah, which is the New Testament, it puts us on God's calendar. I like this analogy of a two-act play, the Old Testament being the first act, the New Testament being the second act. And if you go to a play and you only stay for the first act and then you walk out, you go, oh, how did it turn out? What happened? What did this all mean? If you go just to the second act, just stay in the New Testament, and you don't look at the first act, the Old Testament, you don't understand You see what the end is, but you don't understand how you got there. You don't understand all the things that have been woven together to come to that conclusion. So today we're going to look at, tonight we're going to look at the first act and the second act together. And and also when you, I hear people saying, you know, the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament is full of grace. He's the same God. So we just want to make that clear, too. If, if you're learning about the Old Testament and New Testament, it, it, he's the same God throughout. So we're just, I like that illustration, Act 1 and Act 2. Yeah. He's the same director. So he's directing everything, and we're going to get better understanding on that. That's right. And as we do that, we see God's redemption plan from the first act to the second act. Tonight, we're going to be looking at one of God's appointed times. Appointed times there were, he set out seven of them. The Hebrew word is moadim. And in the Old Testament, Leviticus, Leviticus 23, he sets out these seven festivals or feasts are called appointed times. They all have to do with agriculture because Israel is an agricultural nation, is to this very day. And so each of the seven feasts has something to do with the agricultural season. There's four in the spring in the early rains, and then there's three more in the latter rains in the fall. So we're going to be looking today at the last of the spring festivals. The fact that he made seven harvests and seven appointed times is really significant because seven in the Bible is the number of completion and or fulfillment. And you're going to see how each of these, and especially the one that we're looking at tonight, is fulfilled in the Messiah as we uh, look at it. So last time, Pastor Sheldon and I taught on Passover together. That was the first of God's appointed times or Moedims. So we have a slide for, I'm going to show, oh, you know what? I forgot my 
Your pointer. I did. It's in my purse. <laughs> you Should can go get it. and get it. Yeah, we're all family. Why, why are you at it? Grab me a cup of water my or something. Purse. Can I get oh, a bottle of water? <laughs> yeah. I figure that's the perfect time to uh, transition in that. And what is neat about uh, this slide is sometimes we need to see visually how all of this plays out. Because when you read your Bible, it's words, and you try to visualize how does this all match up? And, and how, does this, how does this include me? And how does this help my faith? So as we look at this slide, it's going to be, it's going to be so good. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, thank you. Actually, for me. Do you need one? You have I one. got one. Okay, okay, thank you. All right. My friend gave me this because he knows I teach now, and so I didn't. Oh, it's perfect for tonight. So if we can put up that slide of the feast. Okay, it's going to should be showing right here, I think. You guys won't be able to see the laser thing. I wish I had one, Let's too. Let's see. Can I do it? Oh, aha, yes. One. Okay, so these are the spring feasts of Israel. Starting with Passover, which we talked about last time, first fruit, um, the unleavened bread and first fruits. Passover, of course, celebrated when the Jews were let out from Egypt, bondage of Egypt, and then first fruits. They were doing, un, um, I'm sorry, unleavened bread is the very next day. They were uh, just eating unleavened bread because they didn't have time for their bread to rise, and then first fruits which is the third day, was a harvest festival. It was a time when, uh, in anticipation, there would be a barley feast, a barley harvest, and they would wave sheaves of barley. Each of these has prophetic significance. Passover, of course, Jesus' death, his burial the next day on unleavened bread, and on first fruits that he rose from the dead. And that's exactly how it was uh, fulfilled in Yeshua during that time. First fruits was when they would gather the barley. That was the first harvest feast. They would gather the barley and they would wave it before the Lord and thank the Lord for his provision. And it's really interesting because they weren't even in, when he set this up, they weren't even in the promised land. They were still in Israel. I mean, still in the desert before they got to Israel. They weren't in the promised land yet. He said, but when you get there, there will be harvest. I want you to bring back to me the first fruits. And so the fourth appointed time, I think maybe if you could put the um, slide back up. Yeah. The fourth appointed time is called Pentecost. The Hebrew word is Shavuot. All right. Shavuot. And you're going to see that's the coming, when the Holy Spirit came, its prophetic significance there. Shavuot is one of three pilgrimage feasts when the Jews were commanded to go back to Jerusalem from wherever they lived. They were scattered wherever. They had to go back to Jerusalem during Passover, Shavuot, and Tabernacles. And they also had to have a holy assembly. They were commanded by God. These God's commandments are basically found in Leviticus 23. You can look at that later. But he said, these, this royal, this holy convocation that you're supposed to have should go on forever. It is an ordinance that should be forever. And I think the church should pay attention to when God says this is something that should go on forever. So since we have Pentecost coming up this Sunday, if you were here at Passover, we're going to do the same kind of thing. We're going to greet each other as you would. Um, for Shavuot, and the word is Hag Sameah. There's a slide for that too. We'll put it up and you can see. Remember, you've got to get guttural. Hag Sameah, 
okay? Hag Sameah means joyous holiday, and this is a joyous holiday coming up. So turn to somebody and say, Hag Sameah. Hag Sameah. Hag Sameah. Hag Sameah. Okay, good. Very good. Some of you guys need napkins. That was too, <laughs> too strong. A little bit too strong. Yeah, it'd be easy. Okay, in Deuteronomy 16, 19 through 10, this holiday is sometimes called Chag, Hashavuot, or Feast of Weeks, or simply Shavuot, which means weeks. Pentecost is the Greek word for 50. So if we can go back to that slide again of the holidays, why is it called Pentecost 50? Why is it called Shavuot, weeks? Because there is a time of 50 days in between first fruits, when the barley harvest comes, to this next holiday, Pentecost or Shavuot. And it's seven weeks, sometimes uh, seven weeks, and then on the next day after the seven week, which would be the 50th day, that is it. And let's take a look at the scripture that goes with this, Leviticus 23, 15. Through 16. You shall count for yourselves. Okay, I'm gonna. We have that scripture mm-hmm. up? It's up. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see it. Okay. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you were brought in, when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. Whereas first fruits was associated with a barley harvest, this one, Shavuot or Pentecost, is the wheat harvest. And that would be the beginning. And they were told to bring these grains. Now the counting of the 50 days from the barley harvest to the wheat harvest is called the counting of the Omer. And Omer is an ancient measure and it's also, it also sometimes can mean sheaf. So interestingly, we see there a picture. I hope you can see it. It's a picture of the Israelites gathering manna. And that was how God fed them. Thank you. That's good. That's how God fed them when they were in the desert. Actually, he fed them that way for 40 years. These wafers fell down from heaven. And it was God's supernatural provision for them during this time. And guess what he told them? He said, every day when you go out there to gather that manna, I want you to gather an omer. That was the measurement for every person. Don't gather more. Don't gather less. Everybody gets an omer. That's going to take care of you every day. Gather it in the morning. Don't try to keep it. Gather it in the morning, and that will be your provision for the day. Same word. This counting of the omer is the same word of the amount of manna. So it all has to do with God's provision. The people were not yet in the promised land when this, of course, was going on. But God was preparing them. He already told them there was going to be these harvest feasts. He was preparing them. When you get into the promised land, I will provide for you there too. But please bring back to me. Let me be thankful for what you get. Bring back to me your first fruits. Does it take 50 days for you to plant 
And then it ripens at that time, and it's exactly around that time. I don't know the answer. Because I'm Any thinking, farmers here? <laughs> you know, it sounds like it, it, because for them to harvest at that time, it's so precise, you know, God and his seasons, as, as well as uh, how, what they were going through, because they, went, they were on a lunar calendar. Right. So we are on a, a solar calendar. So whenever we try to understand the Jewish roots and their timing, sometimes it seems a, li- seems a little weird because it's not according to our solar calendar. So it's, it, it's easier to understand if you look at it from the lunar calendar. I'm sure divers, surfers, fishermen, <laughs> you understand exactly what the lunar calendar is all about. But I just thought it interesting that during the harvest time, uh, it's when the grain was ripening and right. the wheat was ripening. And then there's the next harvest and the next one, too, right. that comes off seven, taking you from, like, maybe uh, April all the way through to yeah. October or so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so the counting of these days from Passover to Pentecost is a special time of trusting and thanking God for, to supply our needs. So to recap... This time called the counting of the Omar, a counting of days between Passover and Shavuot or Pentecost, is a holy time of thankfulness and waiting for God's next provision from one harvest to the next. It was done from the times that the Israelites were in the land until this very day. In Jewish homes, they will count down one and they say a blessing two until they get to the number 50 and the day of Shavuot. When, when I was growing up, we had an appointed time for payday, and because we grew up on welfare, it was always a specific time. But that last week of uh, food, our resources, we had very little. So it was around that time that we as children were looking for anything to help <laughs> with sustenance. So we'd go to grandma's house, we'd eat at uncle's house, we'd climb the mango tree, we'd, we'd look for fruits, and, and we'd do that. Now imagine the Israelites that when God provided for them, he said, here are the appointed times you are to do this. He was providing food for them, and uh, he was providing manna. They had to rely on the Lord's provision. He, they, they were solely reliant on him. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, just as we do, knowing, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When we understand what they were going through, especially during the different harvests, they were hungry physically. But when it comes to Jesus Christ and his spirit, what he's saying is, you've got to be hungry spiritually because he's going to provide for you spiritually. And what, what Jesus said is, I am the bread from heaven. So everything that was happening was constantly pointing to Jesus Christ in how he was going to provide for his people in a spiritual way for eternity. It wasn't overnight. It wasn't oh, gather as much manna as you can. And that's what the people started to do because they started to hoard and they were trying to get more and more and more. And God says, now you're missing the entire point. The manna is not providing for you. I am providing for you. So you need not to worry about tomorrow. And that's what Jesus said. He said, why worry about tomorrow? Today has enough troubles of its own. 
what, he, what Jesus was saying is, rely on my spirit, because that's where your food is going to come from spiritually. So Wonderful. That's the connection between the first act and the second act. Right. Beautiful. How did they celebrate Shavuot once they were in the land in the Old Testament? It's, uh, you can read about it in Deuteronomy 16 and Leviticus 23, uh, Deuteronomy 26. It, it's really special. In all these passages, the people were instructed to bring to God their first fruits as he had supplied to them, bring offerings before the Lord. In addition to the animal sacrifice that they were to bring, because it was the wheat harvest, they were to bring, I think you can, can you see it? (laughs) Two loaves of the finest wheat that they baked. And they would bring that and they would wave it. They would bring it to Jerusalem. They would wave it before the Lord. Now, this is a little bit unusual because normally in the Old Testament, when it talks about uh, bread or grain in the temple, it was unleavened, sinless. But this, and we'll get to the meaning of that a little bit later, this bread is leavened. And this is what they brought, leavened bread to the temple. Okay, we'll see the slide that talks about that. Deuteronomy 16, 10 through 11. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And in this scripture, we see two things about this holiday. An offering to the Lord of thanksgiving, but done with joy. Yeah, and we say that, you know, when we pray over our offering today, uh, something that we got to understand Uh, We have a monetary economic system today. We exchange through a paper note. If you read on your uh, dollar bill or your your money, it says it's a note. And it's always backed by gold. Now, I don't want to get into that and where we are in our economy. However, when the Lord says in Deuteronomy to come with a free will offering and bring it with joy, he's still saying that today. And part of it is because... He knows we're going to live in, in a world and in an economic system that will crash, that will rise, it'll fall, it'll stabilize. But that should never determine the joy that we bring our offering to God or our tithes. What should determine that is that he provided for us, not how much I have, how little I have, I wish I had, or sh- when I get more, or I should, uh, if I had more, then, then I would bring joy with me. He says, the joy should come from me providing to you, period. So when he provides and you give your tithe, don't look at the amount. Don't look at, oh, I'm only giving this much. Say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for providing for me. Here is the first fruit of my income. Or for some of us, like the air conditioning or campagape, different offerings we'll give. Bring it with joy rather than because we asked. Say, Lord, you gave to me. And now I'm giving back to your kingdom's work. I'm giving back to you, and I'm doing it with joy. Sometimes it's hard because we look at our bank account or we think about, but I'm giving this. I can buy shoes. I can buy another thing. I can put a down payment on something. Scratch all of that. And the Lord says, I'm providing for you. So use that as your measurement of joy, the fact that God provided. The Bible tells us, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, 
For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And that's what we see when we give. He loves when we give cheerfully. Good. It's recorded in the Old Testament that that's what the Jewish people were to do as they brought their offerings to the Lord and their first fruits. The farmer, as long as soon as he saw the fruit or whatever ripening, they would tie a ribbon around it and mark it. And then when it came time for this pilgrimage right before Shavuot, they would gather their things in a basket and they would go on a pilgrimage with dancing and singing and joyfully going up to Jerusalem to the temple to present their offerings to the Lord. And there's a slide uh, there of showing this pilgrimage. And you can see it. They're just all going up to Jerusalem. They would even put garlands of flowers on their donkeys and things like that because they were anticipating coming before the Lord, renewing their covenant in Jerusalem. And here's the scripture that they would say, they were commanded to say when they came. And we're going to read this one together from Deuteronomy 26, 7 through 10, if we can all read it together. Then we cry, and let's, as we're doing it, we are the worshipers, of, of, of thankful worshipers. Okay. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord. When you were talking about the um, people coming in and uh, bringing the first fruit and they tied that ribbon, mm-hmm. I thought about when we tithe nowadays and we give of our first fruits, we actually kind of do the same thing, like we plan out, I'm going to give a tenth to the Lord. For Heidi and I, we put it in check form. You know, we write it out that way. And so we plan it out. And it's almost like you're, you're preparing so that when you come here, you're not thinking about, am I going to tithe today? This is my first fruit. Should I tithe? You already planned it. It's like you tied a ribbon around your heart and you said, Lord, this is, this is set aside for you. So now I'm going to give to you joyfully because I've already set it on the side. I just spoke with someone on Sunday and they said, you know, I I tithe to God and I've been able to pay all of my bills as well as save. And they've never started a savings. It's because they tithe first and then they began to do everything after. And this is what they said. I didn't need the things I thought I needed every single month. But because I gave to the Lord, I didn't have the money to buy what I thought I needed. But it feels so much better because I already gave it to the Lord. And sometimes we don't tie that ribbon around to let us know that's the first fruit. We just wait to the end of all our bills and everything that we paid. And then we say, whatever's left over, Lord, I'll give to you after I go to the movies, after I buy what I'm going to buy, after I do all these things. And I understand if you're on a budget, 
and you actually don't have, I understand that. At the same time, constantly pray to the Lord, how can I give you the first fruit of my income? How can I do that? Because I know you want to. For Heidi and I, we had to make sacrifices. It's like tying that ribbon. Every time we looked at that ribbon, we said, we got to make some sacrifices. We can't eat that first fruit. So we got to figure this out. Cut this, cut that, cut this out. No more going here, no more spending here. We're going to have to eat in, sign in for days, but that's okay. God, you are getting our first fruit. So I just wanted to share that's that. That's good. And that shows to faith for the next provision of God. And that's part of what this holiday is about too. This is the wheat harvest. But there's, one, there's ones, other ones coming and just trusting God that he's going to provide for the rest yeah. of them. Yeah. Now, we just saw how the Jews celebrated Shavuot in the Old Testament. When there was still a temple and temple priests they could, who could receive their offerings, they would also take their animal offerings and slaughter them. Because ever since the beginning of time, God has set it up that man would, there, there would be shedding of blood to make atonement for man's sin. And that's very much key in the, in the Jewish religion there. And so Leviticus 17.11 says, this, also we see on this scripture here, there's a picture of the temple there. They're slaughtering a bull because blood was required for the forgiveness of sins. And it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of life that makes atonement. No blood, no atonement. But something happened in A.D. 70. What happened in A.D. 70? You can answer. The temple was destroyed. (laughs) The temple was destroyed. Uh Uh-oh. Now what? This left a huge vacuum in the Jewish people. For the people, for the Jews who had believed in Yeshua, there was no problem. They knew he was the Lamb of God who had taken away their sins forever. Done. So they didn't need to slaughter animals or go to a temple and slaughter animals anymore. But for the Jews that did not believe in Yeshua, what were they going to do? They knew they had sinned. What were they going to do about atonement? So this whole system started up. It began when they were in the Babylonian captivity of synagogues. Synagogues were worship places. Of course, we still have synagogues today, sometimes called temples. But synagogues and rabbis who were the leaders, the teachers, and the rabbis began to add on to the Old Testament, if you would. And they had these writings and their, their thoughts, and it was called the Talmud. And so the synagogue the Talmud, the rabbis, that became the system when the temple was gone. So what did they do about atonement? Give gifts, say prayers, do kind things, follow the law as much as they possibly could. And that was their atonement for their sins. Those are good things, but not God's plan. And it's almost like the system that was once there, because there is no way for them to do what they've always known, When they start a new system, with a new system comes a new set of regulations, a new set of laws, a new set of uh, guidelines to follow. And that's why Jesus, when he spoke to the Pharisees, he says, "You, you have so many laws and regulations that you make it so hard for the people to come to know God. And Jesus already was almost like telling them, in the future, 
when the temple is no longer here, you're going to have to change laws again. And it's like Jesus was setting everything up to let them know that I'm going to do this once and for all. So I'm going to be the sacrifice. You're not going to need these man-made temples. And by the way, the animal sacrifices are not enough to atone for sin. It is not enough. It's going to take a perfect sacrifice to die, to be paid for. A perfect sacrifice needs to be paid for so that human beings can have their sins atoned. A human needs to die for a human in order for their sins to be atoned. It has to be a perfect sacrifice. That's why Jesus was all God, but he was all man, so that sacrifice could be made. And so now when we look back on what Jesus did, when he said, I came to fulfill the law, not abolish it, what he was saying is my life is going to fulfill the law. With all of these rules and regulations, I'm going to make it happen right here in my life. And it was at the cross that he did that. So now we can understand, even with all the sacrifices that were made, it only took one sacrifice, and it was Jesus Christ who made that happen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) So after the destruction of the temple, they could not take their grain offerings. They could not take their animals as they were commanded to do. So what are they going to do with this holiday now at Shavuot? What it became evolved into was a celebration of the anniversary of the giving of the law. Because if you look at Exodus chapter 19, you see that from the time the Jewish people left Egypt at Passover till they arrived at the foot of the mountain at Mount Sinai for the giving of the law, it was seven weeks. Hmm. Just that same time of the counting of the Omer. Got same time he was feeding the manna. And there's a, a graphic in your booklet that you can take a look at it for that. So here they are. They've come to Mount Sinai. God's purpose for bringing them out of Egypt was to bring his people out of bondage, be their provider, have an intimate relationship with them, and set them apart as his own treasured people, holy and separate from the pagan cultures all around them. And so God told Moses to gather the people, and this is what God told Moses to tell the people from Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And, and God does this to us, and God does this in our lives and calls us out of sin. And what He actually has done for us is set us apart to follow Him. Because we live in a world uh, surrounded by, if we were to say, pagan worship, it's worship unto other gods that don't exist. So we live in a place that still does those things. And we see that happening all over the place. God has set us apart so that we can follow him. That word set apart, or you might hear another word, consecration or consecrated, means to be set apart. So God has consecrated us to be set apart for him. Now, why does he set us apart? Because he knows that we live in a land that is still full of idol worship. 
We may not think it is in the way of, if you look at the Old Testament, that they would worship in that way, but it's so subtle in our way, in our day today, in the ways of worship to idols. Uh, some of us might still worship idols, and you don't even know it. You might have a statue in your home, and before you, you go Vegas, you rub the statue, and you say, oh, please give me good luck so that I can win big. And it's like you're, you're, you're putting your faith into something else so that you can be provided for. Or maybe you have, because of the way you were brought up in whatever culture you were brought up, you have different beliefs, different systems. And so now, because you don't want to disrespect your elders or you don't want to disrespect your family, you kind of play into it and you, you, you are okay with it. And you say, no, God understands. And, and he does under certain circumstances, if you're doing certain things, under his leading, rather than saying, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship both just in case one is right and one is wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of follow this religion and, and because this one sounds good. I like that part, but I want to follow you because I like this part. I like this belief because it, it allows me to do the things that this religion doesn't allow me to. And God is saying, hang on, you are consecrated, set apart. So you don't, you don't play into other beliefs, you play into the belief of who I am. Unless you're consecrated, set apart, you're going to have a very difficult time following God. It's going to be very difficult because there are a lot of idols that are in our hearts already, as well as the way we think. So when we ask the Holy Spirit, which we're going to get to tonight, that's what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's now we're being set apart for His use. There is no more room for any idol worship. And that's what God was speaking to his people. That's why they had to say it over and over. It's like you got to get it into your mind so that it gets into your heart. Because once it gets into your heart, now you understand. And then it's an automatic outflow of your life that I'm going to follow God. It's difficult, but I'm going to follow you. That's what consecration was all about. And at first, the Jewish people said, we will do it. In fact, their exact mm-hmm. words were, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so God sealed the covenant with his people at Sinai that day. The same way he had done with Abraham many years before with supernatural manifestations of his presence. Here's a description from Exodus 19. On the third morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Here's a graphic that shows what it might look like as they stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. Thousands and thousands of them, I think a million of them, there at the foot with the the, uh, lightning and the thunder, with a backdrop of fire and clouds and thunderous sounds. Moses ascended the mountain And God spoke the Ten Commandments. And there was more thunder and lightning and smoking fire and the sound of the trumpet or the shofar.
As the thunder and the lightning and the sound of the shofar continued, the people were in awe, but they became afraid. Yeah, I would be too. First of all, that is a distinct sound. It is, <laughs> is unbelievable because God created that horn. Secondly, if there's thunder and lightning and all of that happening, can you just imagine the sound? Now, let's, let's strike the lightning. Do we have that? Um, no, I'm just, we don't no. have that. So if we did have all of that, wouldn't that just be a sight to see? But we will look at it and say, wow, that must have been so cool. But if you're there, I'm sure if we were all there, there would be some fear in us because of the power of God. And that's why they said, we don't, we don't want to hear God. Yeah, they I were, were aware of their that. sin. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I understand it. We understand it. But actually, this is what they said at that time. We don't want to hear God's voice mm-hmm. anymore. You listen to God and then tell us what he said. That's from Exodus 20. And that was huge. God's desire has always been to have an intimate relationship with his creation. It began with Adam and Eve. And God gave the law at Mount Sinai to his chosen people so they would be wholly devoted to him, set apart, and have intimacy with him, his treasured people. But they refused. And so from that time on, God spoke for the next 40 years. He spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to them. Then he spoke to the judges and the kings and the prophets because the people said, we don't want this kind of intimacy, intimacy with you, God. Yeah, and we, it was a, a huge thing. Yeah, and we can look back on that and say, what, is, what are they, dumb? Why wouldn't they want God to speak to them? Well, first of all, because they feared what was happening. But we do the very same thing today. I mean, I've said this before early on when Heidi and I began coming to church. I would say, no, you go church. You go hear God for me. That's what, that's what we say. You go church. You go church for the family. You go hear God for us. Then when you come home, tell me, tell me the scriptures. You tell me what happened. You read the Bible to me. You tell me what God is saying. But God is wanting to have a personal relationship with every single person And at the Mount of Sinai, when that was happening, they didn't realize what they were actually saying. They were actually now separating themselves from God. And because of that, when God would speak to Moses, it already set up a system that the people had to be almost like needing a mediator in Moses. So by the time Jesus came, he said, I am the mediator. I am that person between you and God, but not so that you can just hear God. It's so that you can have a relationship with God. It was more than just hearing the Lord because the people didn't want to have a relationship with God. They just wanted to hear, okay, what does he have to say for us? Okay, is that it? Okay, I can do that. But Jesus said, no, God wants a relationship with you. So in order for that to happen, it's not going to be words because I am the word and I'm going to die so that you can have this intimate relationship with God. It was already being set up back then, but the people just didn't know what was happening at that specific time. Right. So that brings us to Act 2. Remember Yeshua was crucified on Passover and resurrected on first fruits, the first spring harvest. In Acts chapter 1, it says, Yeshua taught the apostles about the kingdom of God for 40 days after he was resurrected. Remember, we're in this time of the counting of the Omer, and they were all Jews, and they all believed in this, and they were counting the Omer. And so for 40 out of the 50 days, 
Jesus spoke face to face after his resurrection with his disciples. And so that takes us up to 10 days before Shavuot. And what did Jesus do 10 days before Shavuot, right before he left earth? On the Mount of Olives, he gathered his disciples. And let's read this one together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. His disciples said to him, are you going to set up the kingdom now? He said, the time's not known. And then, let's read this one together too, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he said those words, he ascended in a cloud, just like Moses had been in a cloud on Mount Sinai, out of their sight. And this is where the teaching gets really exciting. Remember, they were all Jewish. They were all in this time of counting the Omar between Passover and Shavuot. And they were in a time of thankfulness. They were in a time of anticipation. And the fact that they were able to interact face-to-face with the risen Messiah during that period was amazing. And here he was telling them, the wheat harvest is just a shadow of what I have planned. I have a much greater harvest for you. Wait for this empowerment, and then you will be my witnesses on the whole earth, and you will see a harvest that you have never imagined. So the disciples returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The last verse of the Gospel of Luke says that they were continually in the temple praising God. Acts chapter 1 says there were 120 disciples gathered together waiting for this promise of the Holy Spirit. Very interestingly, outside where they were was another group gathered. It was Shavuot, the temple was still there, who was gathering the Jews, okay? Thousands of them coming from all over, because it was a pilgrimage festival, coming from all over the earth, known earth at that time, coming into Jerusalem, bringing their uh, first fruits, bringing their wheat, bread to wave, And so they were all there, too, while the disciples were waiting for the Holy Spirit. Now, very interestingly, on every single holiday and every single Shabbat, Sabbath, the same scripture is read on that holiday. It's called a Parsha. It's a scripture from the Old Testament. So on Shavuot, the reading is uh, Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20, the giving of the law. And also from Ezekiel chapter 1, another scripture that talks about supernatural manifestations. So setting the scene here, the disciples are waiting and praying for the Holy Spirit, also celebrating Shavuot. The Jews are all there in in the temple, reading and listening to, actually listening to this. And you can imagine what the disciples were thinking at the time, okay? They were probably going over, I'm sure they were going over Jesus' last words to them, which we just read. And they were probably thinking about this scripture from John 16, 7. Because at the Last Supper, the Lord told them, it's good I go. That 
kind of was a crazy thought, but he said, it's good I go because if I don't go, I can't send the helper, the comforter, the teacher. So these words were probably replaying in their mind, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And also they were probably thinking about John the Baptist's words when Jesus was first baptized. And John the Baptist said um, that Yeshua would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then came the fire Mm -hmm. and the rushing winds and the sounds. Let's read this one together too. When the the day day of Pentecost Pentecost had come, they were were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. With similar manifestations of the giving of the law on Sinai, the people experienced the wind, the fire, the great sounds when the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, arrived. And God's timing was impeccable. For the baptism of the Holy Spirit to arrive on the anniversary of the giving of the law, which is the most precious thing to Jews, was absolutely prophetic fulfillment. The disciples, mostly Galileans, were supernaturally empowered to begin worshiping God in the languages. The Bible says in Acts that it was the languages, all the known languages of the earth, they began to praise God with. Now, as they're doing that, the tongues of fire and, and them all speaking out, who's coming out of the temple here at the time of prayer? All of the other Jews who had come to worship at Shavuot. And they're seeing this, these manifestations. They had just read about those manifestations in the temple. And here they are, are seeing them. It was like Sinai revisited for them. And they were wondering, what is going on here? And then, because they could hear their, these mighty deeds of God being proclaimed in their own languages, and they knew they were Galileans. They did not know their language. And Peter, the man who denied the Lord three times, who was cowardly, if you want to say, at one point in his life, stands up in front of this crowd and begins to preach to them and tell them. He quotes from Joel, the prophet Joel. He he quotes from David, and he tells them, you need to know the Messiah. You need to uh, to accept the Lord and be saved and receive um, Jesus that day, Yeshua. They call him Yeshua. And 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. 3,000. And that was the first fruits. Remember, this is a bring your first fruits holiday? That was the first fruits. This was the harvest that was always intended. James, the Lord's brother, James said, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be kind of a first fruits among his creatures. So no longer was Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks about being thankful for the harvest of wheat, but 
be thankful for the harvest of souls. And not only the 3,000 souls that got saved that day, but the millions and perhaps billions that would come to God through knowing Yeshua. And just as each harvest looks forward to the next harvest, we as God's people need to look forward to the next harvest that is coming. And we want to be a part of it. So we, we have this anticipation of that. We have a thankfulness. Here's a graphic I found on the internet that I just love. We even see a Hawaiian lady there. This is the Holy Spirit <laughs> falling and, and God's people from all over the world. And so how can we be an effective witness of this great harvest? We have to look at the connection between the law and the spirit. The law, as precious as it is, can never make us right with God. God is looking at the inside, not the outside, not outward behavior, but what is inside our heart. Lives have to be changed from the inside out. And one of the most precious scriptures about this is from Jeremiah Uh, chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke. Although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within their heart and I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my temple, my people, his temple too. (laughs) Our loving, merciful God has always wanted a permanent, unbroken, intimate relationship with his people. And he made a new covenant with us through his son. The fulfillment of the Mosaic law started at Passover when at the Last Supper when Yeshua instituted the new covenant and it was confirmed and sealed at Shavuot 50 days later with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, the fullness of the Holy Spirit residing in us gives us the power and the desire to obey God. And there is the connection. God says, if you love me, you obey me. But how do we do that? only by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. It is the enablement for God's original calling. If you remember the scripture, he said he wanted us to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so it's the enablement for both Jew and Gentile, sinners saved by God's grace, filled with the Spirit to fulfill our calling. And so what are these two loaves about? They have some sin in them, some leavening. But God wants to wave the Jew and the Gentile to him, before him. You've got to give like a hug. Oh, we've got to get a hug. Because that's what the Lord said, right? We're going to be Jew and Gentile as one, so we're going to be one. Okay. Terrific. This is real bread. It's real bread. I'm going to give you a loaf afterwards. I'll take a piece. <laughs> it is the fullness of the spirit that enabled one very formally fearful Peter to preach it so powerfully that thousands got saved. It is the fullness of the Spirit that enables you and I to be witnesses to God's love and grace as he sees fit to use us. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit not only gives us the power to witness, it restores an intimacy. I'm going to share one minute of my testimony. I was saved met Yeshua as my Messiah 
almost 44 years ago. In June, it will be 44 years. I'm very thankful for that. It was hard as a Jewish young woman to come to this belief, really hard. I felt like I was a traitor to my people. Jesus was really foreign to me. Buddha was better than Jesus back in those days to me. But by the grace of God, I accepted him and was born again. But it was still very, very difficult for me to read the, old, the New Testament. It was difficult for me to say the name Jesus. And then the people that I was with said, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Uh, I didn't know what that was. They said, well, we're going to pray. So three days after I was saved... I was in a group of people, and we prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I, I didn't know what to expect. I did not get tongues of fire, but I did get a prayer language. And I got, it was like a veil was lifted off my eyes. And I knew that I knew that Jesus was my Lord and that I was going to have an intimate relationship with him. And I wanted to do whatever he told me to do. And I began to devour his word. It completely transformed my life. How about you? Yeah, I was going to say, when I prayed, that didn't happen. When <laughs> I prayed, nothing happened. And the people that were surrounding me continued to pray. And I felt like, oh, man, this is, it must be me. Maybe something I did. Maybe, maybe uh, I, don't, I don't have an, uh, the chance to do that. Maybe I'm lower. Maybe I'm not as mature. And so I just thought, I'm not supposed to have that. But the Bible says, desire it. Desire this gift. And so I would pray and pray and pray, and then all of a sudden, one day, as I was praying, then these words just, just started to come out, and it was a new prayer language. And we know it as speaking in tongues. And some people might say, well, why don't you do that in church then? If you have this, why don't you do that? Well, I'm going to read some scripture in why Paul the Apostle uh, speaks about that and how it's more fitting when it's in a prayer closet or if it's in a proper setting that there's order to it. So when I did receive this, I thought immediately, this is fake. This has gotta, this has gotta be fake. Why am I saying this? What, what, is, what is this? But it's just something that when it happens, you're speaking in faith and you're believing in faith and you're saying, Lord, if this is of you, then I want to continue to obey you in it. And just like any language that you would learn, if you go to a school and they teach you a language, you're not going to understand it at first. It's going to be very difficult unless you keep practicing it. You may learn two or three words. I know a little bit, like, hi, arigato gozaimasu, or arigato gozaimasu. That's all I know. <laughs> uh, I know there's more to it. Something, something. No one asked me. Yeah. So if you, for those of you who speak Japanese, you can you speak it fluently because you've practiced it. Or if you speak fluent Hawaiian, uh, you can speak it because you constantly practice it. And so it is with this prayer language that you constantly practice it. And so that's what I began to do. I constantly practiced it. In the beginning, it was just a little bit, but I kept praying, Lord, expand this language then. Keep expanding it so that whatever you want to do in my life, I would be able to do under your power. And what I began to understand and learn is that when you're praying in this gift, you're praying God's will. You don't understand what you're saying, but your spirit is connecting with God, 
and your spirit knows what is happening. So when you're praying in the spirit, then you're praying God's will. Sometimes our will gets in the way when we're praying in words we can understand. Or we're just praying to agree with God. Or we're praying that we may come to a, a, a almost like a deal with God. You know, if, if you do this, then I'll do this. Or if I see this, then I'll do, then I'll do that. But, we, but when we pray in the Spirit, there's, there is no prerequisites to it. There is nothing attached to it. It's just purely the Spirit of God. And when, it, when you pray in the Spirit, then you may be praying for things you know not of. And it'll get our flesh out of the way. So let's just say something ha- is happening in your family. You just don't know what to pray anymore. You prayed all the prayers. Lord, change him. Change her. Change us. Do this. Do that. But when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying exactly what you need to pray because the Spirit knows what to pray. For some of us tonight, we're actually going to pray for that. For some of you, you may have had a bad experience, and maybe you're saying, I, I don't want to even pray for that because I've seen some weird things. Well, I pray that tonight that God would give you a better vision of how beautiful this gift is. That when God gives out gifts, it is always beneficial. When you pray for this gift and if you get this gift, it is not proof that you're holier than other people. Nor is it if you don't receive your prayer language that you are less than someone else who did receive it. Really, it's God distributing the gifts as he sees fit. And at the same time, if it doesn't happen in your life right now, maybe there is a specific reason for that. We just need to trust that the Lord is going to show up and do something. But desire the gift, and you keep praying for this gift if you don't receive it tonight. Also, the, the real basis of this gift is what Jesus said, and we read that scripture, that Jesus said, you're going to be able to speak in new tongues. You're going to have a new language. Jesus himself was already setting the tone for a new prayer language. It's a prayer that is of power, and it's always, always based on love. It is not based on I want to show or based on I want to be loud or based upon, well, this will make me more holy and make me more spiritually mature. None of that. I know some churches and even people that they don't have the gift of tongues or they don't speak it, but the power of the Holy Spirit is so evident in their life as well as in the church. And at the same time, there are churches that do speak in this language, and you can see the power of the Holy Spirit working in that. I would say this just to remember that the gift of tongues is not necessarily proof that, the, that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It is provision that the Holy Spirit is going to do great things. It's not proof. It's more of provision that God is going to provide as you pray in this language, that God is going to do great things through you as you pray in this language. Now, what if you don't get this language? Does that mean I don't have power? Is it, does that mean? No. Again, don't look to the gift. Look to the gift door, the one that is going to distribute this gift because it's going to be through his power and his strength that we're going to be able to do anything supernatural or anything outside of our abilities. It's going to be his spirit that does that. When uh, Matt blew the trumpet, you know, that distinct sound, it, it did something to the Israelites 
And so it is when we do something tonight, when we pray, we are going to ask the Lord for this prayer language. And at the same time, we're going to have to, as it were, blow the trumpet. We're going to have to speak. We're going to have to say something. Uh, when, when they blew the trumpet, everyone gathered to battle. In fact, if you remember one of the first battles, in fact, I think this was the first battle when they came to the promised land. It was Jericho, a walled city that they came to. And when they stood before this walled city, they knew that they could not just, you know, break down this wall. And so the Lord said some instructions. And then he said, on that day, on the seventh day, when you march around, then you blow the trumpet. And when you blow the trumpet, the walls will fall down. And then when it does, every man straight ahead and take over. And the walls did not fall until they blew the trumpet. When they blew the trumpet, the walls fell. He even told the priests when they had to cross the River Jordan that before you cross, the priests need to step into the Jordan. And when they did, then the water was stopped. So God will do his part supernaturally. We do our part naturally. Uh, when Moses went to the Red Sea, remember the Egyptians were chasing them and they got trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptians. God says, put your staff into the water and then the water split. So the Red Sea parted. God did that. All Moses had to do was the physical part of putting that staff into the water. And so even tonight when we pray, God will do his part. We just do ours. We do what we can physically, and that's to speak. And as you're speaking, you just speak it. For those of us that will be praying for people, uh, what I mentioned to our, our team that will be praying is, one, you can't force this. This is not something that you can make happen. It is of the will of God, not us trying to pray over you something to make it happen. It's you being open to the will of God for that to happen in your life. And you can't force it either. So if you don't feel it happening, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be very serious at this point, don't just try to make up something. Don't, you don't need to do that because you feel like, oh, nothing's happening. You don't need to make up something. However, if you keep speaking... And you can just start thanking God. You can say, Lord, I just thank you for this night. I thank you. And you're going to run out of words to say. And all of a sudden, you're just going to start speaking, and you know at that point you're not making stuff up. You just know that God is speaking. He's doing something, and then you receive your prayer language. So we may have been brought up in a society that makes it seem weird and fanatical, but let's redeem that. This is a beautiful language that God has given to us. And he says, this is a gift that I want to give to you. And I want to read uh, Mark 16, verse 17. Jesus said, These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. And then I want to read from the book of Corinthians. And this is where God is distributing. Uh, Paul is saying these are the different gifts that will be distributed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But then he ends with this. He says, Now you are the body of Christ. And members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Then he says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Then he says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. 
Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And so he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. He says, you desire it. So what is the conclusion then? Paul says, I will pray with the spirit, but I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For indeed... For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. And it says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And so what Paul was doing with the church of Corinth, what he wasn't saying is, you shouldn't be speaking in these tongues. No, he didn't bring condemnation to stop speaking in tongues. He brought correction so that they could continue in it. And so he brought order to them because the church in Corinth, they were all over the place. And so Paul had to bring them together and say, this is how the Spirit of God is moving. And they're learning. And so he was bringing correction. He wasn't bringing condemnation. He was just bringing correction. And so it is with us tonight. As we desire this gift, just let God do something in our hearts. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and then our, our prayer team, as well as some of our staff. Susie, thank you so much, and then wow. we're going to be praying. Can we thank Susie Chun for sharing tonight? Thank you. And so I'll I'm going to ask you to stand. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to give you later. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> but uh, let's stand tonight. We're, going to, we're just going to let the Lord do great things. And Thanks. some of you have already received that prayer language and so what I'm going to ask of you uh, to do also is pray for those who will be receiving or those who will be uh, being prayed over. Some of you, maybe you're not here to receive your prayer language. Maybe you're saying, can I just pray for my family? Can I pray for something? That Absolutely. And at the same time, for those of you who will be praying for this uh, prayer language, it doesn't end tonight because... Maybe there are some things that you would want to know of, maybe some questions, maybe some information that you would want. Um, we can still talk and, and uh, help you with that. Uh, so as we sing this song and as we let the Lord move, I'm going to ask you to respect each other, uh, to respect each other's space and then to respect each other uh, when they're praying. And if you do need to uh, leave, then you may be dismissed and... Uh, just know that God will still continue to do great things in your life. But why don't we pray as our prayer team can come forward. Lord, we just thank you so much for giving us your Holy Spirit to realize the truth behind how you have set everything up and, and how from long ago you have already given us a way to come to you through Jesus Christ. Is something that sometimes we take for granted 
But not only did you give us salvation, you gave us a power to live in this world as being people set apart for you. And so maybe there are people here tonight, Lord, they've, they've been listening, they've been hearing about how your spirit moves and how you, from long ago, have been setting up a better system. It's a relationship with you. That it's through Jesus Christ, but then you give us power from on high. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that has never accepted Jesus into their hearts, that they will do so right now. And if that's you tonight and, and you want to receive Jesus into your heart, then I'm going to say a prayer, and you can repeat after me and just mean it with all your heart. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean and make me brand new. I believe you died for me and rose from the grave to give me eternal life. And so I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you just said that prayer for the first time, would you just lift a hand real briefly and you're just acknowledging I said yes to Jesus tonight. Good, good. Many of you. God sees your hands. Yeah, God bless you. God sees your hands. Even back there, God sees you. Yeah, he's touching your heart. He's releasing all that junk that may have been holding you down. And he sees you, and he sees your future, and he's giving you a hopeful one. You put your hands down. Lord, I think tonight as your spirit moves in us, whatever you're going to do, Lord, I pray that as a church, not only will we be strengthened as individuals, but that we would be strengthened as a church. That as brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll become even that much more of a force for you so that the kingdom of God could be advanced. I pray for everyone here tonight that as they get prayed over, that their hearts would be open to you, not feeling forced or manipulated, but that they would hear your voice, that their hearts would be open to you, that your spirit would move in a mighty way. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the one that gives us power to live this life in a world that is opposite of how we are to live as believers, but that as we pray to you tonight, you would empower us to the person of the Holy Spirit so that our lights can shine in this world in such a way that people would see our good works and glorify you in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' precious name, and we all said Amen. Can we just invite the Holy Spirit here tonight, Lord? Lord, we invite the Holy Spirit.